Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Thanks for taking the time to join us for this service today. At the end of this message, we're going to do something really special. We're going to come together and share in a time of communion. We're going to come to the Lord's table and together remember Christ's sacrifice for us. I'd encourage you, if you don't already have elements prepared, that you go ahead and do that now, that you would uh, find something that represents the bread, something that represents the cup. It doesn't have to be any specific kind of bread. It doesn't have to be a certain brand of grape juice. Just find something that's going to represent the bread and the cup for you. And together, we're going to share in communion here in just a few moments as we come to the Lord's table together. You know, I don't know about you, but have you spent any time waiting in these last few weeks? It seems like in one way or another, waiting has become a part of our lives in a whole new way. A friend of mine sent me a text message recently. They were standing outside of a store and they had to wait in line. Here's the, here's the picture that they sent because it was just a reminder that we're spending time. It's a, it's a whole new way. They said, this is my first time to do this. Waiting outside to go inside it's a whole new way. I'm going to guess I'm not the only one who has waited for two o'clock on an afternoon to be able to hear the message from the governor and see what he was going to say. We're doing a lot of waiting. And right now we're waiting to get back to church. We're in a very unique situation in these times. And we're on, I think, week number eight that we are meeting uh, virtually. We're meeting online in this way instead of meeting face to face in person here at the church. Now look, I, I hope that we're back together real soon, but not yet. And some of you are wondering, well, why haven't, why haven't we gone back to church yet? Well, some of it is we're honoring the restrictions that have been put forward by those in authority over us. This is a, a biblical principle that you honor those who God has placed in authority over you. And in this season, they say that it's wise for mass gatherings to not come together. And we also believe that it's wise for our safety in this season, for your safety, that we're not coming together during this season of time. And we're also choosing to meet in this way because we, we love our neighbor. If research has shown that one of the major ways that this coronavirus spreads is in mass gatherings, then it's wise for us at this time to continue to meet virtually. But look, we're still together during this time. Now, I know that it's, it's weird for some of you. But what's interesting is if you look at history, if you look at scripture, God uses weird times to do new things. You know, in this time, we have more than 60 online life groups that are meeting, that are gathering together and connecting with one another. That's more people that are connecting together than we had back in February. It's interesting how God can use weird times to do new things. Now, look, I can't wait for us to be back together. But until the time that it's wise and ready for us to do that, we continue to meet in this way. And I love it because even though we can't be in God's house, we know that God is in your house and we're able to connect in this way. So thanks for sharing this service. Thanks for posting pictures. Thanks for encouraging one another as we go through this time that is so unique to us as we are waiting. Today's message is about waiting. We've been working through the first few chapters in the book of Revelation. We've been looking at the seven letters that Jesus gave to the Apostle John. He was a guy in isolation who was writing to churches that were in crisis. Sounds like a message for our times. 
Today we're going to look at the sixth letter. Now we're, we're skipping the fifth letter this week. We're going to come back to the fifth letter. But I really felt like God wanted us to focus on the sixth letter this week. So we're going to kind of go out of order just a little bit because of the season of time that we're in. There's a message in this sixth letter that I really feel like it's timely for us to hit. We're in May of 2020. We're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. It's affected all of us in some ways. But at some point, this message is not about what's happening to us. It's about who we are. We're not just people in a pandemic. We're the children of God. And we're going to jump to this sixth letter today. And we're going to look at this. It's a letter to a church in an ancient city called Philadelphia in what would now be modern day Turkey. And there's seven letters Five of the letters, Jesus takes time to bring correction to things that are not right in these churches. In two of the letters, Jesus offers no correction. He writes simply to encourage them. And at the very heart of this letter that he writes to this church in this city called Philadelphia. If you ask me what's the key verse in this letter, I would say it's verse 11. Revelation chapter 3 verse 11, which says this. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Jesus says here, I am coming soon. If, if this is at the very heart of this letter that he writes to a church that he is encouraging, then, then this must be really important for us to talk about, to stress this concept that Jesus is coming soon. Now, whenever we talk about Jesus coming again, it raises some interesting questions. Like, let's start with this one. What is the second coming? When we talk about this, what do we mean? What is the second coming? Well, if you've been around the church for any season of time, there's a good chance that you've heard someone say this before. Talk about the second coming or that Jesus is coming again. In my younger days, it, it seemed to me, now this might not have been true, but at least it seemed to me that the people that talked about the second coming were, were only elderly people who had lived their lives or some preacher who was trying to scare us or maybe some guy on a street corner with a cardboard sign who was yelling at people or maybe people on TV who were making the headlines read like timelines. And those were the people that we heard talk about this. But this is Jesus saying in here, and it's a message that often we do not fully understand. And sometimes we go, sure, he, he may be coming, but he ain't here yet. And I don't really understand it. So I'm just going to go on with my life. Others of us say whenever we talk about the second coming of Jesus, we get fascinated by it. We say, man, give me some maps. Give me some charts. I got a puzzle I've got to put together here. Here's, here's what we know about the second coming. In spite of all those things that we think or that we hear, Jesus promised that he would come again. And if Jesus said it, then it must be really important. What do we mean come again? Well, the first time he came is, is what we celebrate at Christmas. It's what we remember, his earthly life leading up to what we just celebrated a few weeks ago at Easter with his, with his death and then his resurrection. He came the first time as a baby. But when he comes the second time, he's going to come as a king. Even the book of Revelation that we're studying it begins with and it ends with conversation about Jesus coming again. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. That's how the book starts. The book ends in this way. Next to the last verse in Revelation. Revelation twenty two twenty says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I 
am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. If Jesus is coming soon, what does that mean in the season of a pandemic? Well, it causes us to ask this question. Are we living in the end times? Are we living in the end times? Look, this is a really good question for us to consider because I've seen a lot of things in social media. I've seen a lot of things in, in, in magazine articles or things that people are sharing or just conversations I'm having with people who are saying, hey, the end times, what Bible talks about the end times. Are we living in those times? And let me give you just the simple answer. The simple answer is yes, we, we are living in the end times. I know this because Jesus said it. Look at this, Luke chapter 21, verse 7. They were standing looking at the temple and Jesus talked about how someday that temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed. And his disciples had a conversation with him. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? They're asking about the, the end of time, the last days. Jesus replied, watch out that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must first happen, but the end will not come right away. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places and fearful events. And great signs from heaven. Look, look, those things that he just listed sound like they're coming right out of the headlines. You, you can click on your news app and find those things right away. Jesus referred to these last days, to these end times, and we should not be surprised when we're seeing things like a pestilence or a pandemic because Jesus told us they would happen. Like with the book of Acts, we begin to read about what's called the last days or the end times, the Christian period of history. The Bible refers to by those terms in this way. See, the beginning of the end was inaugurated by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told us that there would be tribulation. We'll come back to this here in a little while, that we would face trouble. Now, we're not talking yet about the great tribulation, things that we read about in the book of Daniel or that we read about later in the book of Revelation. We don't believe that that sequence of events has, has triggered yet. And we'll talk about that again in a moment. But we do believe we live in a day and time where we are looking at the last days, the end times, that Jesus could come at any time, which raises the next question, when will Jesus return? Like, when will Jesus return? That's, that's a great question because we know he's coming back, but it'd be nice to know. If Jesus is going to, if you will, reopen everything, <laughs> we'd like to know when that's going to happen. Well, what does the Bible tell us? Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Did you get this? Only God the Father knows when Jesus is coming again. That means that no one else knows. And that when someone tells you they know, they don't know, because this says they don't know, that only the Father knows. Now I stress that because there have always been people who tried to guess, oftentimes well-meaning people who tried to guess. You, you go as far back as the second century. There was a priest who thought that Christ would return in the year 500 AD. He wasn't right. If you go back just into recent time, in 1988, there was a man named Edgar Wisenant 
who wrote a book called 88 Reasons Christ Will Return in 1988. Well, he didn't. As recently as 2011, a well-meaning guy named Harold Camping predicted that Christ would return on May 21st, 2011. And again, he didn't. See, we, we have this tendency to want to figure it out, but the Bible says no one knows. So if somebody tells you, hey, it's going to happen on this date, you, you can almost count on the fact that it, that it probably won't because only the Father knows, the Bible tells us. No one knows this. Here's what we do know. When Jesus returns, it will be an event that, that we believe is called the rapture that there will come a time, and we'll talk about this again in a moment, when Jesus is going to come in the air and he's going to call all those who are his followers, dead and alive, who will come up out of the earth and meet Jesus in the air and be with the Lord forever. After that, there'll be an event called the second coming, when Jesus is going to come back to earth and he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and he's going to rule and he's going to reign. That will be when he returns as a king. Well, Chad, when's all this going to happen? What we do know is we don't know when, but we believe, and this is a word we use quite often theologically, we believe that it's imminent, that it could happen, the Bible teaches us, at any time. Here's one example of that. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Paul says, And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The consistent teaching of those in the first century in the New Testament was that Jesus could come at any moment. They believed that his, his coming was imminent, that he was coming soon. Now the reality is then, you and I might ask the question, what's taking so long? <laughs> Like, Jesus, why, why is this taking so long? The Apostle Peter knew we would ask that. Look, look at what he said. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He says, we do not forget this one thing, dear friends. I love that line, dear friends, because he's wanting us to know here that he understands our impatience, maybe even our frustration. He says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Oftentimes we look at history and we go, it's been a couple thousand years, Jesus, where you been? Jesus looks at his timeline and says, it's only been a couple of days. See, he's, he's waiting because he's patient. He's coming again, which causes us to ask another question. If Jesus is coming back, what should we do? If Jesus is coming back, then what should we do? In the midst of this pandemic, how do we respond? It's a great question to ask because actually it's a question that the disciples asked Jesus. After his death and resurrection in, in, the, in the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus was with his friends. He was with his disciples. And they were curious, like, like Jesus, now that you're here, when are things going to change? They were asking, when, when are we going to see signs that the end is coming? When are you going to rule like a king? They were asking the, the same questions we're asking. How's this all going to end? Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom 
to Israel? Really good question. They want to know, Jesus, what's, what's coming next? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Do you get what he said there? It's the same thing he said earlier. No, no man knows, and honestly, it's really not yours to know or figure out. That's a little discouraging because we like to know things. And he says, look, it's really not yours to know. Instead, look at this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, very familiar passage of Scripture. Instead, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you see what Jesus said here? He says, look, the, the idea is not that you try to figure out the timing. The idea is if I'm coming soon, then you need to do everything that you can right now to help others hear and know about the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. When, when we think of his second coming, it's a call to action. It motivates us to put our trust and obedience in him. We don't stop and wait around. There's more for us to do. And you might ask the question, okay, that's cool, but, but what about the mark of the beast? And, and, and what about what's happening right now? And, and who do you think is the Antichrist? Like these, these are all interesting questions. And scripture helps us to understand bits and, and parts of this. But the reality is that the Bible isn't meant to be a jigsaw puzzle. You know, some of us have, have been doing puzzles in this season of time. You, you might have one sitting on your table right now as you're helping to fill kind of this stay-at-home kind of downtime that we have. End times isn't, isn't just a jigsaw puzzle for us to put together. Jesus tells us he's coming soon to encourage us and to motivate us that there's something more that he has for us to do. Our questions are good, but the answer to those questions... I think we find it in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Back to our text. This is the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Jesus says, while you're waiting, hold on. What, what I want you to see real quick in these last few moments that we have is Jesus' message to a church that was waiting I want you to see Jesus' message that he gives to a church that was waiting. We're waiting right now. We're waiting in this weird season that we're in. We're also waiting for Jesus to come again. So four things that he says to a church that's waiting. Here's number one. We wait with opportunity. <clears throat> number one, we wait with opportunity. Listen to how he writes this letter to this church. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia... Right, Jesus said, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Here's what that passage tells us that I think is really important. It tells us that Jesus has the keys of authority. He's the one who ultimately is in control of all things. And he says, even in the midst of this difficult situation that you're in, remember, I'm the one who holds the keys. To have those keys to the kingdom that he talks about here. It gives him a title that we, we don't necessarily use, but is, is uh, more familiar in ancient times or in other parts of the world. What's called a major domo. And this is someone who not only controlled the entrance to the royal palace, 
But as a result, they had the position of highest authority in the kingdom. See, Jesus says, I hold those keys. I have that authority. And he says that even in the midst of this time, when you're waiting, Jesus has opened a door for us. Jesus has opened a door for us. I love the language where he says, I've opened a door that no man can shut. Jesus has given us tremendous opportunity. From the first week of this pandemic, the first time that we were together in this online way, one of the things we talked about is that we must be careful that we do not allow a crisis to rob us of opportunity. See, we are God's people in this moment, in this season. He has given us tremendous opportunity. And I don't know what it is for you, whether it's time with your family or insight on the job or a conversation you're going to have with someone who's in need of somebody to speak words of encouragement and hope to them. In this time, Jesus has opened a door for us. And here's what I love that Jesus knows. Do you remember this passage? It ends with this. I know that you have little strength. Jesus knows that you need strength. Man, when I read that, I was encouraged. Because I don't know about you, but I go through seasons of my life where I just feel like I don't have the strength. Where I say, God, I, I don't know that I've got what it takes. So I need you to strengthen me. Jesus says, look, I have opened before you a door that no man can shut. And I know you have little strength. But while you're waiting... You lean on my strength and make the most of this opportunity. This past Christmas, I, I got a, a gift in a white elephant gift contest. I don't know if you've been a part of one of those at a Christmas party where you have these different gifts. And what I got was one of these, one of these message boards that you can take and, and put different things on. And what I put on this message board that I now keep in my office, kind of right on my bookshelf, is it says, we stand on the threshold of unprecedented opportunity. If you've been around Calvary, you know that we'll use that phrase from time to time. It comes from an old document that, that Reverend J. Donald McManus, the longest serving pastor of Calvary, he, he wrote this back in the 60s. And that line has always stuck with me. We stand on the threshold of unprecedented opportunity. Look, friends, if that's ever been true, it's true right now. Like right now, you stand, you live in a time and a position where God has given you unique opportunity. And you'd say to me, you sure about that, Chad? Because <laughs> I really don't like living right now. Like, like I don't like being a part of this season. I like it when life's easier or simpler or I'm not asking end times questions. And my encouragement to you is that God knew you were the right person for right now. You are the right person to be the parent in your family. You are the right person to be interacting with your, with your classmates. You are the right person for the job that you're in. You are the right person for your neighborhood, for that calling, for this place, for this season. Whatever it is, you are the right person. God has given you this opportunity. He wouldn't put you there if he didn't believe you were the right person. And some of you say, well, I feel like my life has no purpose right now. Maybe you're wrestling with, with unemployment. Maybe you're wrestling with questions of purpose or calling in your life. Look, even in this moment, Jesus has said, if you feel like you have little strength, hold on to me because I've opened a door that no one can shut. Some of you are saying, hey, Chad, that's great. I see the opportunity, but I feel guilty because I feel like I'm not handling it well. And I feel like I've lost my cool or I feel like I'm failing in this place or I feel like I'm missing this thing. 
Or, or I feel like, why am I blessed in this way when others aren't? Or why are some people suffering when I'm not? Like that idea of guilt can come into us in so many different ways in the midst of these chaotic times. Can I encourage you? Jesus knows you have little strength. He knows I have little strength. And that's why he says, I've opened this door. No one can shut it. You go through it. And you say, Chad, but these are ugly times. A friend of mine used that phrase the other day. He says, so many people feel like these are ugly times. And I thought to myself, ugly times make for beautiful feet. Well, that's a weird phrase, but there's a passage in the book of Romans where, where Paul writes and says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Look, friends, you've got good news to bring to people and there's no greater time for you to be the one who puts action to your feet and makes beautiful good news for people than ugly times because ugly times make for beautiful feet. We wait with opportunity. Here's the second thing that, that Jesus says to them. He says, number two, that we wait with acceptance. That we wait with acceptance. Look at this, Revelation chapter 3, verse 9. Jesus says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. Let, let, me, let me time out. Let me park here real quick. Synagogue of Satan. If you go back a couple of letters, you remember we already looked at this phrase. It's those who said that they were followers of God, but really weren't living like it. He says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that. Look at this line, because this is what really resonated with me that I have always that I have loved you that in the midst of their rejection Jesus comes to their stance and he says to them I have loved you look life will often leave us rejected don't doubt it it's going to happen to you in so many different ways it'll happen in relationships it'll happen by others it'll happen on your job it'll happen in this season some of you are grieving things that you've lost in this season this is a difficult time life will often leave us rejected hold on to this Jesus will always call us accepted when we're rejected Jesus calls us accepted see he knows what it's like to be rejected remember remember the Easter story remember the crucifixion he knows what it's like to be rejected but he also knows this that he accepted you before you ever accepted him. And maybe even you're, you're watching this and you've, you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. The reality is he chose you to be a part of his team. I, I remember growing up, I, I grew up in a really small school system in kind of rural Northeast Ohio. And uh, my, my physical education teacher, kind of through the, the whole season of my schooling from kindergarten on through 12th grade, was a guy whose name was Mr. Games. How great is that? A gym teacher whose name is Mr. Games. I was in high school, I think, before I finally realized that's, that's his real name. I thought that's just kind of what we called him because he was the physical education teacher. And I can remember being in Mr. Games' class and um, you'd get to that point where you're going to play dodgeball or you're going to play kickball and it's time for the, the schoolyard pick. And I'd always get really nervous because Mr. Games would pick a couple of captains and then they'd start picking people. And you're standing there going, am I going to be the last one to get picked? And I know that some of you, this might be hard for you to imagine, but I was usually near the end. 
I guess I didn't have the, the greatest dodgeball technique or the, the strongest kickball skills. And you'd stand there and you'd watch as one by one other people would get picked instead of you. I, I can still picture in my mind, I was usually one of the last few, and I'd think to myself, certainly I'm better than that guy. I've got to get picked before them. And it was always this awkward moment wondering, am I going to get picked? Look, you don't have to wonder about this in your relationship with God. Jesus says, I have loved you. You're already accepted. He's already picked you. And people need to hear this, like especially in this time. Look, some of you have the opportunity to speak into the lives of other people and say to them, God loves you. He's chosen you. You can speak life to them in this season. And some of you need to hear it today. Look, I'm not just making this up. And you saw it here in the scripture. These aren't just the words of a kid's song. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. You can hold on to that. While we're waiting for Jesus to come again, we know that we have opportunity. We know that we're accepted. Here's a third thing. Number three, we wait with protection. Number three, we wait with protection. Revelation chapter three, verse 10. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Look, the reality is we live in a broken world. Jesus came to fix it. And through his death and resurrection, he has fixed our broken world, but not yet. This is theologically a concept that's often referred to as the already, but not yet. Jesus has already made everything right. There's nothing more that needs to be done. He's paid the price but it's not yet been realized yet. Have you ever, have you ever taken a trip? Maybe you, uh, in, in times past, you, you, you had a flight going somewhere. Maybe you even were going to a resort or maybe even a cruise. And you bought those tickets and you had them for months. And you said, I'm already going to go on this trip, but not yet. Like, like it's already secured. There's, 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 there's no doubt I'm already going to go but it's not yet time for me to leave. It's not yet time for me to go on this trip. And that's the truth. Everything has been fixed. Jesus has made everything right, but not yet. See, right now we're still living in a fallen world. Peter told us earlier, it's because God is patient, wanting others to come to know him. So what are we waiting for? We're waiting for this blessed hope. The rapture is our blessed hope. We're waiting for this time and this event when Jesus is going to come again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Are you ready for that time? Because someday the Bible tells us there's going to be the, the blast of a trumpet and Jesus will be in the air. And just like we just read, those who were followers of him, dead and alive, will come up out of the air and will meet him in the air. We're going we're gonna to go right up into the air and we will meet him there. The question is, are you ready? Have you ever, have you ever not been ready? Thursday night when I, when I went to bed, I, I said to Rhonda, I looked at my calendar and I said, you know, I don't think I have any like Zoom meetings tomorrow. I don't, I don't think I have any of these 
online meetings. I had had a week full of them and I had purposely tried to keep Friday free so that I could actually get my own work done instead of all these different meetings. You, you know the feeling where you're trying to just get something done. And uh, Friday morning I got up and was working on some email catching up and all of a sudden I get a text message from Pastor Keith. He says, hey man, you able to join this meeting? He, he was very gracious. What he was saying was, you're missing this vitally important meeting. Somehow when I looked at my calendar, I, I totally missed it. The sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach when I got that text and realized that I was not ready, that I had missed this meeting, that it was really important for me to be at. You know what that's like when the teacher says there's going to be a pop quiz and you know you didn't, you didn't read the stuff, you didn't study. When your boss asks you if something's done and you know that you forgot or that you didn't get it finished. It's that sinking feeling. Look, I don't want you to miss that Jesus is coming again. I want you to be ready for that time. And in fact, the Bible says it's so important. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 18. It says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Look, when we talk about Jesus coming again, it's something we look forward to. We encourage one another with these words because it matters. See, I, I know for some of us, we're like, I know Jesus is coming again, but there's things I want to do first. I want to travel. I want to get married. I want to have a family. I want to get my dream job. Can I encourage you that in these hard times, what we hold on to, what we hope for, we encourage one another with these words, Jesus is coming again. Because we know that our, our most regular day in heaven will be better than our best ever day on earth. Because we wait, number four, last thing, we wait with a promise. We wait with a promise. See, God has given us a tremendous promise. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look, there's, there's tremendous promise in those verses. We wait for what Jesus has ahead. For the sake of time, let me share just one with you. Jesus says, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. And when I heard that, I thought to myself, a pillar is not that attractive to me. Like he even says it here that never again will they leave it. I, I, I don't like the idea of just being stuck. <laughs> so I wondered, what does he mean when he says that? He says, I'll make you a pillar. Remember, this is a letter that Jesus gave to the Apostle John to be delivered to a church in a place called Philadelphia. Philadelphia and that part of the ancient world and what's modern day Turkey today, that, that place Philadelphia was prone to earthquakes. That whole region at times would, would be shaken and, and buildings destroyed by the tremors that they would feel coming up out of the ground. Many times when these earthquakes would happen and a building would be destroyed, the only thing that would be left standing would be the large pillars that even when everything was being shaken, when everything was being destroyed, it was the pillars that maintained their strength 
and there's stability. Jesus says, here's a promise. I'm coming soon. When I do, I'm going to bring stability. I'm going to bring strength to the world. And I can bring that stability and I can bring that strength to your life. Hold on to the promise that I've given to you. Look, some of you in this season, what you need to find from Jesus is that strength and that stability. That when everything else is shaking around you, you can hold on to the promise that says Jesus is coming. He's going to make everything right. We can put our trust and our confidence in him because Jesus is coming soon. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. I am coming soon, so hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Well, what does that mean, your crown? That's the prize. That's the reward. That's what we're living for. You hold on to this promise that Jesus is coming soon. I wanted to do more than just talk about this today. But I wanted us to be active in how we would respond. So today, as we wrap up this service, remembering that Jesus is coming again, we're going to come to the Lord's table and share in communion. Hopefully you've had an opportunity. If not, we'll, we'll give you just a moment here to gather something to, to serve as elements for when we share in communion today. Something that represents the, the, the bread, the broken body. And again, something that represents the cup, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Again, it doesn't have to be any kind of special kind of bread. It, it could be a cracker bread, something like that. And it doesn't have to be a special kind of grape juice. Some, some kind of liquid that for you you can use to commemorate and remember here. Why do we do this? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul in the Bible gives instruction to the church on, on these times. And he says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, while we wait for the second coming, we remember that Jesus came the first time. That Jesus came to bring us salvation. That Jesus came to be our savior. Today, I, I want to ask you this. If you feel like your whole life and world is being shaken, do you need a Savior? That's someone who comes and brings you forgiveness in your life. And do you need a Lord? What do you mean by Lord, Chad? Well, that's someone who gives your life purpose and meaning. When you say, I surrender my life to you. See, what some of us need is that hope. Some of us need is that stability and I'm telling you, you can look all over for it, but it can only be found in Jesus Christ. So before we come to this time of communion, can I invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Here's my question for you. Do you need Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord? Because if you do, if you need that forgiveness and that purpose and that peace and that joy and that mercy and that grace in your life, it starts by simply saying, Jesus I give you my life. I offer my life to you. I need what only you can bring. So I give you my life. If today you know that he is your Savior and your Lord, then as I lead in this prayer, I'm going to ask you to pray it aloud with me and just kind of reaffirm that before we come to the Lord's table. But also today, if you know that you need him as your Savior and your Lord, would you pray this prayer with me? I'll lead us and then you repeat these words. The words are not powerful in themselves. It's what you, you believe in your heart as we pray this. In fact, let's pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive my sin, be my savior. I give my life to you, my risen Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you just prayed that prayer with us, especially for the first time, then we would love to celebrate this with you. There's a, there's a link that you can go to on our webpage that says, I wanna know more about Jesus, or there's, a, there's also a link in the chat, if you're watching this live right now, wherever that is, YouTube, Facebook, on our website, you can click that link, and if you'll go there, we have a resource we wanna to send to you, and we wanna pray with you as you begin this new relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, in just a moment, we're gonna to come to the Lord's table together. Let me read you the instructions that Paul gives to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. The Bible says it's important for us to examine ourselves so in these next few moments, as we listen to this song that focuses on the life, death, resurrection, and second coming of Jesus Christ, would you prepare your own hearts? Maybe there's things that you need to ask God's forgiveness for. Maybe there's places that, that you need to put these things in his hands and trust him with these things. We'll take these next few moments as we listen to this song and prepare both our elements and our hearts to come to the Lord's table and then in just a moment, I'm going to be joined by Calvary's staff. They're, they're going to be joining us virtually on this screen behind me. And together, we're going to share in communion together with you because we are going to, while we wait for Christ's second coming, remember what he did for us the first time that he came. Let us remember and celebrate this as we wait together. Forever
Today, as we come to the Lord's table, I'm honored to have Calvary's staff joining us in this time by Zoom. Throughout this season of uncertainty, our staff has been praying for you. We've been praying with you, believing that somehow in this time of waiting, God is doing something unique and special in our lives. We've already looked at how Paul instructed us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what's really significant about this, as we've already said, is that as we are waiting for his second coming, we're instructed to remember what happened when Jesus came the first time, how he died for us, and how because of his broken body and his shed blood, we can know forgiveness and we can know life. And somehow it's in this waiting that God is doing something special and unique in our lives. And so today, 
we have, as Paul instructed us, examined ourselves and we come now to the Lord's table. So I'd invite you to, to take the bread in your hand and we're going to read what Paul says to us here in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I want to invite Matthew Ford, our high school pastor, to lead us in a prayer of blessing over the bread before we share in it together. Pastor Matt. God, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for your body that you, that you uh, shed for us. Lord, we thank you uh, that we can come together as a family, Lord, united around you. And Lord, we just ask uh, that in this moment, Lord, we remember the sacrifice you made for us. Lord, we remember uh, the moments that you you look to us uh, in forgiveness and in grace. And Lord, we accept that grace together as a community and as a church. And Lord, we ask that as we continue through this time, Lord, let us our eyes be fixed on you. Let us focus on you. And Lord, we, we look to you in these moments. And Lord, we thank you. In name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's share in the bread together. Paul goes on to say that in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. In the shed blood of Jesus Christ, it's because of that that we can know life and we can know forgiveness and we can know healing. And so we thank him for that today and we remember as we share in the cup together. I'm going to ask our children's pastor, Lindsay Jordan, if she would lead us in a prayer of God's blessing as we share in the cup together. Pastor Lindsay. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for your life. And Lord, just as we sit here together, um, we know that we get to be together in your house and lord we ask for that blessing right now to come into our houses and that lord we get to remember that this time is sacred and we ask that you continue to have us focus on you and know that you are the one guiding our steps today so we're thankful for this opportunity amen amen let's share in the cup together and paul says for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes and as we're waiting for his second coming, I'm so thankful that when Jesus came the first time, he died and rose again so that you and I could know forgiveness, and we could know life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for being a part of this service. And we pray that God has used it to be an encouragement in your life. Let me pray for you as we go. Father, thanks for this time that we've been able to share together. And Lord, we, we long for, we look for the day, Jesus, that you will come again. Until then though, we, we wait and we live our whole lives with expectancy, knowing that each day you're doing something new and special in each one of us. Father, would you fill our lives? Would, would you be in our homes with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.